Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. We have an amazing guest today. She has so many things going on that we want to talk about. Renee C. Bauer. Thank you so much for joining us, Renee. I'm going to read a little bit of your bio here, and then we are going to get into it. So Renee is an entrepreneur, author, peacemaker, gotta love that, and blended family aficionado. And Renee is dedicated to helping others find their happy even after. Renee was born in the suburbs of Boston, has an accent that loves to sneak out when she's excited, angry, or just when she spent a weekend from her fam- with her family. I have that with my South Philly relatives, so I can relate. <laughs> Won awards, faced her fear of public speaking, litigated cases in a courtroom, and grew a business from nothing but a folding table into a thriving family law firm in Connecticut. Uh, Renee has an awesome son, three stepkids, married to a man now who is her partner in every sense of the word, but those bumps and bruises along the way led her to the happiest, most complete, most purposeful version of herself. Here's what I love. Renee believes that doing the big, scary, uncomfortable thing can be the most rewarding and fulfilling experience of your life. And Renee is also the founder of the She Who Wins Summit. Stuff. So many things going on. Um, but I want to jump right into the whole happy even after. Just the name of that is just a a wonderfully hopeful place for people who are going into divorce, which is what your your law firm specialized in. It's a wonderfully hopeful place to look forward to. And so where did you come up with the name? I'm assuming it was that was the goal. Well, you know what? I, it went through a transition of like the law offices of, and the, you know, all of the typical like boring lawyer offices. And then <laughs> I realized I'm like, okay, wh- what are we doing different than other law firms? And it was the, the client experience of what we were helping them to walk through as they went through a divorce. And it was so much more than just the law. It was like, all right, how, because the truth of it is when clients got their mindset, right, they became easier clients. They spent less money, which despite what people think lawyers, most lawyers don't want to actually spend all of the money um, and don't want to go to trial. And they they became happier on the other side and they weren't so busy blaming their lawyers and their exes. And so it was like, all right, what can we do beyond just guiding them through what the law says? It was really helping them shift their mindset that this divorce that is happening to them is just a moment in their life. And mm-hmm. I'm twice divorced. So like, I get it. And when you're in it, it feels so horrible and you want to blame everyone. And it's so easy to want to be the victim, but that keeps you stuck. And really in order to find your happiness on the other side is fixing what's happening in your own head and making peace with it and healing, um, acknowledging the role that you played, forgiving 
an ex doesn't mean you have to accept them or even actually tell them that you forgive them, but forgive them within yourself so you can move on. And that was the whole premise behind happy even after that, you know, a plot twist might happen, but it doesn't mean it's the end. And now you have this beautiful opportunity to create something else, create any life that you want. And you I do this see, through I can your see Kristen's firm? brain firing and firing and firing. She's <laughs> this is like, what you do through your, through your law firm. Yeah. Yeah, that's because I had to build. I mean, my lawyer was just a part of the team. I had to build a whole other group of people to do everything that you just said. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's it. You know, I'm super picky on who is part of my team, and everyone has to have the right mindset, mentality, and outlook, and kind of treat all of that that process the same way. And so it started with me of figuring it out, like recognizing, oh. If I work with clients, if I spend 20 minutes and work with them on something that has nothing to do with the law, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to get through everything else in a really easy way. And so that's how I started to build what the law firm was and our philosophy and our vision and process and all of that. Wow. And I'm guessing that you've seen, you know, we don't have time for your gajillion stories, but I'm sure that you've seen some people really some amazing transformation that you were a part of with this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of my favorite, and I won't spend much time on it, but one of my absolute favorite stories is a woman who came to me and she was middle-aged. She didn't want the divorce. She was happy enough. You know, life was comfortable. She never had to take care of the finances. She had everything that she kind of wanted but she really wasn't happy, but she would have stayed married forever. And every step of the way was a, was a struggle for her. This Mm. fear of like living on her own in a year after her divorce, she reached out to me and she was like, Oh my God, I didn't even realize how unhappy I was until I was on the other side Mm. and, and in a place where I was genuinely happy. And so it was like this, this moment happened for her where she was like, you know, the divorce was so hard, but then it was, yes, like there's so much good on the other side. And some people get there and some don't, you know, unfortunately Mm -hmm. we do see people who say stop and they're the ones who go to trial or the ones who go back to court over and over and over again and constantly bring in an ex back, or they're constantly embroiled in conflict. Um, And that happens, but it's our goal to try to not let that happen and to really help people see the potential outside of divorce. Mm. That's one of the things that, you know, Kristen and I talk about why when people go through trauma, some of them can thrive through it and others stay stuck. So is, is it, um, do people have to kind of have the mindset and you just nudge them along or are there like specific things that you can say to them? All right, try, look at it this way, or is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both because sometimes Sometimes it's just a perspective shift and people are open to it. And then when you start to guide them, they follow and it, it's natural for them. It might not be easy, but it's also like they can do it. But then there's other, you know, sometimes you have people who can't do it. They can't go there and they're, they're stuck and their mindset is not that growth mindset. It's always going to be scarcity. It's always going to be victimhood. And if you try to teach them, um, the response is you don't get it you know, or whose side are you on? You know, sometimes you get that. And it's really hard as, you know, I'm such an empath. So for a while I took it personally, it's like, but you know, it was, it was, it was a reflection on me, what I felt if I couldn't get them through that other side and and the way that I had gone through it. Um, But then you just get to the point where you recognize like some people aren't going to do that. And 
you know, often those aren't the people that actually come to our firm or when they do, they recognize early on that like, okay, I, I need someone who's going to be fighting and filing motions and going to court all the time. And, and we don't do that. You know, it's like lawyering with integrity. If it doesn't feel right, like, yes, we're going to do everything we can to protect your rights and to help you through that. But if it doesn't feel right and you, you want us to do things just to make the other person's life miserable, like we're not the good place to go. Like that, where there's lots of other people out there who will do that for you. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they motor right through your office and go find the the filing people that are going to keep filing. You yeah. know, one of the things that's a pillar part of the brilliantly resilient process, and it's so hard for so many of us. And I found it my biggest challenge in divorce is controlling the controllables, like what is really in your control. Yeah especially when you're trying to negotiate and stay out of court. I mean, I'm sure that you've seen a, a ton of practice in getting people to understand what's really in their control and not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even personally. So like early on in my, my uh, divorce, I have one son who, when I got divorced, he was two, he's almost 17 now, but at early on my ex traveled all of the time. And I was sick of like feeling like I had to constantly work around his schedule. And there was a point in my life, like I was like, that's it. It's I'm going to be completely unreasonable. And when you travel, that's it. You don't get to make up the time too bad. Well, I mean, who did that hurt? That hurt my yeah. son, you know, and fortunately I was there for like a very short time and I realized like what a jerk I was being, but it's, you know, I mean, sometimes when you're in that there's emotion and there's, you get kind of get caught oh, yeah. up in, in all of that. Yeah, so it agreed. looks like, it, it looks like the, I, I kind of feel like with just the name of your firm alone, there people kind of know what to expect. Like this is, this is not going to be that, this is not going to be that place where we're going to come, you know, come out with the gloves on right away. This is more of, of a process to not only help you legally, but help you emotionally and kind of personally maybe process some of the things mm -hmm. that, you know, are, are really intrinsically a part of this, that, that if you don't recognize that they're there, they can influence every decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I've spent a long time doing trial work. So trials happen, litigation happens. Um, it's my least favorite thing to do. In fact, over the past couple of years, I completely stopped doing it um, just because no one ever wins. And when you do that, you walk into the courtroom and, you know, everyone thinks they're going to, they're going to get it over on the other side and they're going to come out with the win and both people end up really ticked off at the result. And then they turn back and they blame their lawyers and the lawyers are like, you know what, this, what happened should have happened this way. Like, this is what the conversation was three months ago or six months ago when we were trying to settle. Um, so yeah, you know, we, and so yes, it's always nice to do it that way. Um, but sometimes, sometimes you just have situations or you have one person who is completely unreasonable or abusive. Um, and it does require a little bit of a stronger stance. So I want to talk now, I want to do a little bit of a shift because you actually did a, a book. You, you're, you don't stop at the, the adults. You make the fact that children, when children are involved in this, a, a pivotal part of this whole process. And you actually provide resources for kids to, to kind of figure this out and to help, I guess, the parents to help them navigate it. Where did that all come from, from your own experience? Yes. Yeah. So um, when I wrote my children's book, Percy's Imperfectly Perfect Family, I, my son was younger at the time and he loved penguins. So I sat down with them and was like, all right, um, what, 
you know, if he had a friend who was going through a divorce at the time and he didn't remember anything of us, his parents being together, but we had a conversation about like, if, if parents were separated, what are the types of things that kids, you know, could possibly struggle with or have pain points. And we kind of talked through it. Um, and because he loved penguins, that was the main character. And so he helped me, I, you know, I say he kind of co co-wrote it um, because there were resources out there. There's not a ton of resources out there. And a lot of them use like the word divorce. And I think that word's scary, but like kids don't really get what that word means, but they get how it feels like they, they, when they have to split homes or split holidays. And that was, um, you know, that was the inspiration behind it. Wow. You know, when, when I went through my divorce, which was, it was, it was more brutal than most brutals. And my kids, I did build a, an army around them and went and found every possible resource so they could come through it. But when my daughter came home a few years in and she was doing okay, and she said one of her best friends, the parents were getting divorced. And we were like locked eyes and hearts. And I was like, listen, you know exactly how that all felt, how the words feel and people talking behind your back. I'm like, you go to her and let her know you got her. Like just that, cause we didn't have anybody that had yeah. been through that yet. And then just that one little conversation of, listen, been through it too. You know, let's, let's make sure that we hang out and check in. And she checked in on her every week, made it, it just makes all the difference for a kid when somebody yeah. has some experience with it. Cause they feel that. And I know even as, as a, as a woman in my late forties thinking yeah. no one else has ever, you know, no one in my town has ever been through this. I'm, I'm the loser. That's all my own. Right. Yeah. And then you find other people that are like you going through it too. And it, it just makes all the difference in the world. And it, it isn't that, isn't that, you know, shameful that it's like when you, and, and that was my story too, is I felt like I was going through it all alone. And when I work with other women and they feel like they're going through it all alone, um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And there's so many resources out there and there's so so many communities. Like I have a private Facebook group that totally free, but it's just women come together to support each other. And kind of the rule is like, listen, we're not bashing exes. That's not the purpose of this, but it's to talk through emotions. And a lot of what you hear is like the loneliness, the fear, like someone had just shared that they were moving out this weekend and they were equally excited and terrified and grieving and all of that stuff. And to like recognize that that's so normal to feel that whole range of emotions, like the happiness, the peace, the relief, the terror, like all of that is so normal. So it's, it sounds like you are, you're really helping people to process this on a lot of levels, which is, you know, Kristen said something about, you know, feeling like a loser. And, and mm -hmm. I imagine that whole idea of, of even if it's not your fault per se, yeah. there's like that level of shame. There's, mm -hmm. there's so many things that go into this that could prevent this from people seeing it as a healthy thing. It's hard for anybody to see something painful as an ultimately healthy thing, but like what kind of things can you do or say with someone to kind of make them make that shift in perspective? Because that's gotta be hugely important. This is not your fault and you're not a loser. <laughs> like right, to yeah. get them to that happy part. 
Yeah, you know, and there's there's so many facets to this. One is just putting yourself in a community of other people who get it and understand. I always recommend therapy, counseling. Like if, if you're ever going to go, this is the time to get that extra support. And there's no shame in that. Like I have friends who won't even do that because they feel like there's this the shame to asking for help, which I'm like, are we still there? Like, are we still in that place that, that that's happening, but people still feel that way. And especially if someone's coming from like a religious background and and religion factors in like, that's another whole conversation, but you know, one community, but I also like, I'm a big strategy person and I like action. So it's, you know, sometimes your head won't catch up yet, but it will, if you start doing things to like, you know, if it's, if you're stuck in a, a living in a situation that's bad and you know, the house is going to get sold, like start exploring what, where can you possibly go? Start putting together your finances. If you've never done it before and start looking at budgets, get comfortable with numbers, like look, spend the time with that. Because sometimes like our head is like, no, I don't want this, but you just start doing some practical stuff too. You get a little bit more comfortable with what it looks like. And the first time you look at it, it might be so overwhelming. And then the second time, a little less so, and then maybe two months later, it's like a really comfortable thing that like you're getting used to your numbers and looking at it and it's not so scary. So, you know, it's a combination of mindset, community strategy. Um, I tell people bring themselves out on a date, like go sit at a nice restaurant by yourself. Mm. And you know how many people say they can't do that or have never done that. And it's like, well, what am I going to do? I'm like, you're going to sit there. Like, it's so powerful just to do something so simple and just sit there and, and put your phone down and sit there and just like, enjoy it and recognize like, okay, I can do this thing by myself. And I survived a nice dinner. And what yeah. more can I do? Then maybe the next thing is you go away for a night or a weekend, you go to a spa by yourself and you start doing like little baby steps and you see like really what you're capable of and how powerful you are, which is really how that whole shift of the happy even after has transitioned into she who wins was because, okay, divorce is one part of your story, but it's not the whole story. And making really big, hard decisions is the answer to living a really happy, fulfilled life. And that could be starting the business, taking the risk, moving across country, saying yes, opening your heart up to love after heartbreak. You know, it's all of that, that risk that is just, um, it, it encompasses our entire life. It's not just divorce. Like that's just one little piece of it that so many of us have gone through. Wow. I love it. And I, I think that, um, well, you're exactly right. One of the things also in the brilliant, the resilient process is we talk about just taking one action. Yeah. One. Act, and I realized for me, cause you actually hit it right on the head. I was sitting there spinning out of control because there was so much coming at me. Now mine was, you know, a whole and a very unhealthy person. So it was, where could my life get annihilated in every different direction? So I was so paralyzed. But when I just did one, a good friend of mine said, Kristen, if you don't have any money, you're not going to be able to raise these kids. So let's get your arms around that. And he said to me, how about you look up, just sit there at night and Google women that have blogs that have been through this and their advice financially it was, it was him saying that, that I was like, these women have been where I'm at. They lost everything. They want to help me now. And they, and they did, and they knew how to write in a way that I could understand yeah. it. And I got to tell you, that was my hardest step, but man, when I started like, oh, and then I go into the next meeting with, we started with a mediator. That was a disaster, but I go into the next one. And I go, 
So on Forbes, it says this, and I with the 401k, now am I right here? Because I'm just learning, you know? And then it was like, I was onto something. So then I was like, let me do that. And I never would have thought I would get, and now where I'm at with being solely responsible for finances and and have investment and looking ahead, I never would have been that girl. Never. I was my biggest fear, but that little baby step each time, you're exactly right. It built me some momentum that I've muscled up. Isn't that powerful though? Then it's like, then it's like the next thing that you come across the next challenge. Like I got this, you know, it's not gonna, that's not gonna be the, my demise because I got through something even harder. And now this next thing, yeah, no big deal. So what if I sweat through it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And that's the key, the recognition that it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Those baby steps are simple, but they're not easy. You know, they're two, oh, yeah. they're two entirely different things. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to hit on something I was reading, um, doing my due diligence beforehand. And you said something about um, you are passionate about reinventing yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's kind of what you're doing for your clients too, because from everything that I'm hearing, and, and I've been married, as Kristen says, for 157 years, so I can't quite relate can't quite relate to that part of the process, but I can see this idea of having to reinvent yourself as again, a singular entity, Mm -hmm. because when you're married, you know, it's that whole, it's that whole joint entity, that whole, you know, you become two, you become one. Um, So that whole idea of reinventing yourself again, as a single person, how much of that plays a big part in what you do and, and carries on into the, I want to get to the, she who wins some. Yeah. I mean, I think that if we're not constantly evolving and reinventing ourselves, then we're stuck and stagnant. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's through divorce. Sometimes like it's the, a pivot in a career or deciding like whatever I had been doing for the first half of my life has come to completion. And now I want to do something else. And like, how can I learn from that? Sometimes it's letting go of friends that no longer are, you know, in, are not growing with you and they're keeping you stuck is like who you surround yourself with matters. You know, I think that we're always, if we're, if we're allowing ourselves to be open to growth and opportunity, we should always be reinventing and looking at, you know, is this still serving me? And that is the whole transition to the she who wins, because I noticed that there was the, the community I was talking to, it was like, all right, so we get through the divorce and now what? And some of them have to start careers that they never had before, or go back to school or find jobs, become the sole income provider for their household. And there were so many other things. It was like, all right, doing that big, scary thing for for might be the divorce. It might also be living in a house by yourself and having to deal with the snow removal during the winter. It might be starting the business that you've always wanted to do. You know, it might be traveling by yourself. It's like, if you're always doing something really uncomfortable, that means you're growing and evolving. And, um, and that was the whole point of she who wins. And, um, my, my literary agent at the couple of years ago, we had a divorce book that we were pitching. And I said to her, I'm like, you know what, that book is not the one I want to write anymore. I want to write a book called she who wins. Um, and it, it has to be bigger. It has to be about taking risk because women are so used to like, 
playing it safe and kind of playing it a little small and not taking big risks. Like we've mm-hmm. been raised to, to, to be the good girl. And you know, what happens if we shake that up? What happens if we have really uncomfortable conversations and set some really strict boundaries that um, we now enforce? And what happens when we stop trying to please other people and we start living for ourselves? Well, something amazing can happen. And, you know, that's, that's that whole concept of like continuing to evolve and grow and challenge yourself. And that is she who wins. Yeah. <laughs> I, love <it. laughs> I love the whole title. I love, I actually started putting in all my new passwords when I was creating passwords wins is in there somehow. Look, now everybody can hack into my stuff, but the word win is in all, all of my things. And it might be like, I don't, she doesn't know what she's doing, but she's going to win. Like I have all uh-huh. these crazy things that I'm like, I love it. I love this whole concept. She who wins. Thank you. So do you think that, you know, that, a, that a part of this, this whole idea of winning, you talked about she who moves forward fiercely is, is she who wins is a part of the reason we aren't fierce because we feel an obligation to keep everybody else safe. Yeah. I, I feel like, especially if you have children and you're a mom, like that's your thing. I got to keep my kids safe. And after a while that starts to, that cautiousness starts to spill over everywhere. Yeah. And how do you like for, for somebody who's not going through a divorce or a trauma, yeah. how do you shake yourself out of that? Yeah. Um, I love that question. So I have this, you know, we're so afraid of failing and it's like, we don't celebrate that. And it's like, you know, and I think about it and part of the, the book that I do have, she who wins, it's coming out in 2023 is I have a whole chapter on like failing really proudly and like sharing your failures to like normalize it and recognize that that's, that's always part of the journey because you're going to fail 10 times. And then that 11th time you'll succeed. And whoa, is that going to be amazing? But you're not yeah. going to succeed on the first time. I mean, who does, you know, it's, yeah. it's just not, it's not possible. It's like even speaking. And I, you shared that I would have this fear of public speaking and it's like, every time I do it now, I'm like, you know what? It's not perfect. It's not going to be perfect every time. I look at other people and like, wow, they're so good. Well, they got that way because they've done it over and over and over again. And they weren't probably that good the first time they got on stage, you know? So it's like just that practicing and getting comfortable with not being perfect. So many of us have that like perfectionist syndrome. Like if we can't make it perfect, we're not going to do it. Like that's garbage. Just show up like imperfectly and do it anyway, because you just, you grow and you learn and you maybe the next time you're a little better or you redirect and you're like, oh, this isn't for me. And I'm going to pivot to something else. And that's growth too, is just recognizing that. And you know what? I got to tell you, I, and you probably believe this too. The more you fail, the more people like you, uh-huh. <laughs> then you're not uh-huh. annoyingly perfect. Yeah. I reach out to me all the time. Thanks for sharing that, that that Kickstarter didn't work in July because my stuff didn't work either. You're amazing. Mm -hmm. Let me know when you get the next one going. (laughs) I, the first time I ever filmed like video for social media, I spent an entire day filming, I think two, like three minute clips. And I deleted both of them. I was so focused on like it being perfect. And now it's like, I'll throw a hat on. I want a makeup on. I'll hop on. And those are the ones that like people respond to because people don't want perfect. They want to know like, oh, okay. I can like be imperfect. I can be messy and like, just do it messy. And, and that's totally okay. Yeah. And that all, that all circles back to you or helping people find 
their authentic selves and be comfortable with that. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, whether it's alone or whether it's, you know, in mm-hmm. some kind of a relationship or or whatever, you know, <laughs> Kristen and I, when we started Brilliantly Resilient, we had no idea what we were doing. And yeah. we just were like, okay, well, we know, because we had this big plan. Kristen calls it the world takeover tour that we were supposed to do. We're supposed to go out and speak. And we started Brilliantly Resilient on March 7th, like 2020, like a week before the world yeah. shut down entirely. Yeah. But the point was, when we decided to go on the air and do this, we were just like, hey, nobody else knows what they're doing right now. So, and we made it a point, though, to share that with people and Mm -hmm. tell them, look, we don't know where this is going. Nobody knows where anything's going these days. And I think maybe some of the things that you're talking about are helping people to get comfortable with that. I don't know exactly where you're going to end up, but it could be happy even after. And it, you know what it would be, it absolutely will be if you just keep taking a step forward and you don't get stuck and like just become complacent. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny. Cause when I, um, I had this, it was last year, I like randomly thought that it would be a great idea to, to do a live event, never planned a live event before. I'm like, Oh, this is what I'm going to do. And I, I booked it. And then I had like a major panic attack. I was like, oh my God, what if no one shows up? I don't have that many cousins around to like fill the seats. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? And then I almost canceled it. And I'm like, well, that's really stupid. Like, why don't I just see what happens? And what's the worst that happens? There's a handful of people. Okay. So, so what, you yeah. know? And it's like, what's the big deal Then I won't be showing the footage of the audience if there's 10 people, <laughs> but you know, and, and, and we ended up selling out and we're having a bigger one next year. So it's like, you don't know what's going to happen unless you take that risk and put yourself out there and risk failing. I love it. I could talk to you all day, but I know we have to wind up. This is so fantastic. (laughs) So to that end, we really do want everybody to know where they can find you, where they can learn more about not only your, your work and your, your resources for kids and all, but the She Who Wins Summit. Yeah. So Instagram is my favorite place to hang out. I'm always like checking DMs and responding. So my handle is at Ms. Renee Bauer, or they can go to shewins.com And that's information all about the summit that's happening on April 28th and 29th at Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. Okay, everybody, you have to know there is a happy even after it is available to you. You just have to act Keep taking that step, surround yourself with good people and a good tribe. And by all means, check out Ms. Renee Bauer and her happy even after and the She Who Wins Summit. Going to turn it over to my partner right now. I didn't realize that this this summit is happening just up 95 in Connecticut. Hmm, interesting. We're just down in Philly. That'll be oh, that would be super fun if trip. we could work that in. Um, but and I love this whole she wins. So she who wins. So everybody go and and follow Renee on the social media platforms and make sure you go to brilliantlyresilient.net. Sign up to get our brilliance bit that comes to your inbox once a week. It is a less than one minute read because we don't have time to be doing things that take longer than that because we got to win at other things at our brilliance. So make sure you go get that. We'll see y'all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.